So the title today of the message is Becoming a Glacier in a Gigabyte World. That's really what the kind of picture we want to put into our thinking and our minds is because we're living in a culture which all of us love and no one really is opposed to the fact that things are faster and more available and more instant than they ever have been and they're going to continue to become faster and more available than they even are now and we all love that. We, we love that we can, when our contracts are up, we can upgrade our phones and we can get a phone with a faster processor in it. So all the things we used to do, we can do faster now. All the things we could store, we can store more of them now. All the data that we could transmit, now we can transmit more data faster than ever before. And, you know, that's sort of the holy grail of technology these days. I mean, we started out with a byte. That's one little transmitted data or one little storage component of data. And then we, we talk in terms of megabytes and then gigabytes, and then we move on up beyond that. A gigabyte, I think, is a billion bytes, and that's a pretty powerful storage capacity. And what we're thinking in our minds looks a little bit like this. So when we talk about gigabytes, we're talking about how much information can we get into the smallest possible space. And so, you know, it used to take a room full of computers as big as your house to, to barely get a rocket to the moon. Now you have way more capacity than that capacity that got us on the moon in your hand by a long shot because we figured out how to get more information into smaller places. And sometimes life can begin to reflect that. I've got to move faster. I've got to do more i got to multitask. i got to be able to drive and put my makeup on and check my Instagram all at the same time. And that's a spiritual gift that only women have. But I'm telling you how they do it. I don't know. They're still driving better than the men on the road while they're doing all that, which is phenomenal. But in a gigabyte world, God is inviting us to have a glacial mentality. A glacial mentality. Catching us up from last week, because I know we all weren't here last week, but we all have to be on the same page together moving forward over the next few weeks. Last week, we talked about the pinata and the iceberg. Same idea. We talked about how a pinata world, and we all can remember what that was, the pinata world is a hollow interior with a fantastic and dazzling exterior filled with all kind of sugary goodness that it if you blindfold it yourself and you swing wildly, eventually you'll hit it and you'll be able to have an explosion of wonder all over the ground. But we also talked about the possibility of an iceberg-esque life, a life that is beautiful. So it doesn't have to be a dull, boring, and uninteresting life. It is an inspiring thing, an iceberg, what you can see of it. But 90% of icebergs are unseen. That's what's under the surface that really is the component of an iceberg, and the durability of an iceberg is really all about the 90%, not about the 10%, and how in spiritual formation, it's a clear option for us today. We're either going to be spiritual pinatas, which means we gather for things, we show up at things, we're inspired by the music, we 
in some cases, really enjoy the message. I turned on the radio, and there was a new song for me, or I downloaded a new CD, and there were new, new, new ways for me to express my love for God, or there was a new book that came out, or a new DVD series, or I went to a Bible study, and it's all, if we're not careful, it's all just sugary goodness for us. It puts us on a sugar rush for a little while that we quickly crash on, and then we need another jolt to help us again. And at the end of the day, it's possible that we could fill up our lives with spiritual activity but still have hollow hearts that aren't becoming substantive in our character formation and becoming the people that God wants us to be. And spiritually, God's looking for icebergs. He's looking for people that have the ability to to relate in in a broken world, but most of their lives is the... 90% of the character that is formed underneath the surface that supports everything that you can see above the surface. And it's the same idea that we're talking about today, becoming a glacier in a gigabyte world. Now, an iceberg, I I couldn't shake the iceberg, and a lot of people like the iceberg. A lot of people kind of related to that, commented on me, to me about the iceberg, and so I just want to come back and reframe the iceberg. Icebergs don't just appear. Icebergs are a part of something even greater, and their formation is all rooted in the glacier. So there's another image I want you to see here today, and and it's hard for us to really get the scale in this particular picture but what I loved last week, when we talked about the piñata and the iceberg, people rallied around the iceberg. They liked that. People they were like, I want to be iceberg-esque. That, that resonated with me. Deep did call the deep at the sound of your waterfalls. And I knew I was meant for more than a piñata life. But what is an iceberg and where does it come from? An iceberg originates in a glacier. And knowing that a few of us have seen glaciers, I'm not even going to ask if you've ever seen one calve before. But when a glacier calves and the ice shell formation gives way because of its structure, big chunks of ice fall from the glacier into the ocean. I think we have uh, that in video form on demand so we don't have to go and see it. Now, now, I know at Disney, the teacups, they go round and round while the whole ride is going round and round, and that is mystifying and amazing. But don't you want to see that at least one time in your life? The problem is it's not on a schedule. It doesn't happen at 9.15. So you have to be in the right place at the right time. It's not easy to get there. You're freezing. It might not happen. You might be disappointed. But, oh, if you ever do see it happen... You are shouting hallelujah because it resonates on a deep, deep level inside of every one of us, and it results in awe in our lives. And and this is what I'm trying to say about ordering our habit around the faithfulness of God. We, to be icebergs, have to understand glaciers because that's where we come from. And so we have to get in the proximity of a God who is unshakable and immovable if we're going to be steadfast and immovable. Then we have to be orienting and orbiting around a God who is steadfast and immovable. The iceberg was attached ultimately 
to something far more formidable than even itself. Glaciers are formed. If we could just do just a little bit of work here, and then we'll go right into the text. Glaciers are formed because of the relationship between accumulation and ablation. Now, accumulation, we all know what that means. Accumulation is just layer upon layer upon layer of whatever it is that you're accumulating. It could be in your basement, you know what accumulation looks like, or in your closet, accumulation happens, and you're not really sure how it happens, you just know that there was a time that you could go in there, and now there isn't, and that's because of accumulation happened in there. And ablation, a word we don't use as much, is the natural process of disintegration or erosion. And so in, in, when a glacier is created, the accumulation outweighs the ablation. So the snowfall eventually does melt. Eventually, some of it does get deteriorated in a, in a sense of a glacier. It could be because of its movement or because of friction or because of other forces that come against it. But the accumulation outweighs the ablation. So at the end of the day, there's more there in the long run than there is going away in the long run. And over centuries of time, check it out, a glacier is formed, and its own sheer mass moves it by gravity forward at a rate that is imperceptible to humanity. But yet, when you see a glacier, it stuns you in its power and its ability to create its own pathway and to carve its own identity on planet Earth. And this is really why we're heading into this series called Habit. It's not about New Year's resolutions. If you have them, go for it. I couldn't cheer you on any, any more excitedly in whatever it is that you're seeking to do this year. But it's not simply about New Year's resolutions. It's about character. It's about a lifestyle. It's about adjusting our mentality for the long run. It's about asking the question, I know life is going to create ablation, trials, difficulty, the pace of life, my new job. We just had an, another child added to the family. That's creating a lot of deterioration of time and opportunity and, and the, the ability to actually even decide what we want to do in some terms of our lives. And there are other things that erode in our lives. But the question we have to ask is, am I accumulating enough? Am I adding enough to my life? character, goodness, faithfulness, godliness? Am I adding by the habits I'm forming enough godliness into the equation that when the ablation of life comes, time, experience, circumstances, situations come, and they erode some of the goodness in my life is more being accumulated than being ablated. And I think for most of us, we would say, you know, it seems like I'm, I'm running out on the erosion side faster than I'm putting in on the accumulation side. And for a lot of us, and just, you know, being honest, our accumulation is, is in here right now. You know, like, that's why I'm here. I'm here to accumulate. And there's great accumulation that happens here. We have amazing snowstorms here at Passion City Church. And they will blanket whatever it is that you came in with in a matter of moments. In the course of an hour and a half, they will blanket your life with 
goodness and hopefulness and faithfulness. And you'll walk out of here and you'll think, man, God is alive. God is real. God is on my side. God has a purpose and a plan for my life. And before you get to your car, you pull your phone out of your pocket or purse and you got three texts in there and ablation starts immediately eroding into the confidence that God put in your life. And so it's great to be gathered in any house. I hope that every one of us would be gathered in a house. But it has to be more than that for you and me. The accumulation factor has to be greater than that. And so once again, if the enemy can kind of get us into a mentality that says, well, I I went to church and I added actually even one other thing during the week, that's great. But the erosion factors of our lives are constant. And so to become glaciers in a gigabyte world, a gigabyte world just simply meaning I gotta do more, store more, condense more, be quicker, be faster. In that kind of a world, to become the kind of a person that over time is still moving in the direction with God, it requires a, a long arc mentality. Impatience is the nemesis of habit. And so we have to fight against a gigabyte mentality. We have to fight against an instant mentality because when when we have that mentality and we say, look, my phone got twice as fast as the last phone I had. My dad is moving at the house now over Wi-Fi twice as fast as it used to move. We're getting information now twice as quickly as we used to get our information. And in that kind of a world, to have the long arc glacial mentality puts us counterculture in a way to the way the entire world is moving. And that's always the way that it has been with God. I want to lead us to a text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. It's a text, if you know Scripture well, that's rooted in the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, all of this chapter deals with the reality and the results of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the net, net, net of it all comes at the very end of the chapter, and it's a beautiful encouragement to you and me, beginning in verse 58, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, now the therefore in this chapter would be 57 verses worth of therefore, so we're not going to read all the therefore, but you understand when you drop into verse 58 and it starts with therefore, that at some point it's going to be helpful for you to, to therefore, which is to back it all the way up to the beginning and understand where it is now that we're landing in the text. So let's at least think about resurrection power. Let's at least think about the promise that brings to you and me that if Christ was raised, we'll be raised. If he beat death, we beat death. If he beat sin and it sting, then we beat sin and it sting. If he is risen, then we're gonna be risen. And this world, this body, this age isn't all we have to look forward to in the world. And there's really nothing we fear because death is the great defeat, and that defeat has now been defeated in Jesus. And so therefore, verse 58, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, context for this is resurrection. So what he's saying is, don't ever give up 
on your vision to be a person of faith in a somewhat faithless world, to be locked on Jesus in a very relativistic society and to try to live for the things that last forever in a world that's just interested in the here and now. He said, don't ever give up on that. Why? Because Jesus Christ is raised up from the dead. He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you are linked together now with him and you're gonna share in that victory ultimately in your life. So given that backdrop, don't ever stop giving yourself fully to the things God has given you to do in this world. And he encourages us in these ways. He says, stand firm. That word is be steadfast. And that's really the spiritual characteristic that we're lifting up today. It's not so much a spiritual habit, but it's the characteristic that's going to inform or breathe into all the habits that we're talking about. And it is the characteristic of steadfastness. Can we say that together? That's a word that's kind of hard, big mouthful. It is steadfastness. Let's say it together. Steadfastness. It's being faithful is another way to say it. It's being constant. It's actually arcing our lives towards consistency so that 10 years from now and 20 years from now and 30 years from now and 50 years from now, we are still moving in the same direction with God. And when you talk like that, it's crazy talk in this world because the gigabyte mentality has gotten us down to the instantaneous nanosecond of life. What do I want to know right now? Do I want to know a football score right now? Do I want to know a stock quote right now? Do I want to talk to my friend right now? Do I want to see my friend and talk to them right now? Or do I just want to talk to them right now? I got the option. I can either let them see my face or not see my face. I think I'm just going to talk to them right now. But I don't actually want to talk to them right now, so I'm going to text them right now. And I'm not even going to text them right now. I'm going to get Siri to text them right now on my behalf. We've got so many nanosecond options right now. Do I want to watch my favorite TV show? Well, I'm commuting to work and I've got 20 minutes. I can pull up whatever I want and watch it right here in my seat. Now, I'm an old guy, so you know this is like, this is like a collision of worlds for me because I grew up in the era that some of you grew up in. And if you want to see a certain television show, you had to be sitting on the floor in your living room at the right time. Does anybody remember that here? Does anybody? I'm telling the truth. Some people are looking at me like I fell off a dinosaur coming in here. Does anybody remember that that actually happened? Does anybody remember the time that if you chose to change what you were watching at that live moment that you were sitting on the floor in your den, looking at that big square cabinet that had that tube in the, in the middle of it, if you chose to change what you were watching to one of the other three options that you had, you actually had to get up. Talking about resurrection power, you had to get up. Anybody? You had to walk. You had to walk. Can you believe that? You had to walk or crawl four to 12 feet and change the channel. Can you imagine? We actually made it, people. We made it. We made it. We crossed over. We, we, we have arrived. 
Now I'm like, do I want to operate the television with my phone or with the remote that's sitting right here on the table? Because I can do either one. I cannot operate it by going across the room because I don't know where any of the buttons are on the TV. So if this isn't working and this isn't working, we're not watching. I know they're right on the back, and that was a convenient place to put them. They're actually so sleek that they actually conform and contour to the edge of the television set so that now I'm back over there looking for my glasses, hand behind something in the dark, feeling something that seems like it could be a button. And this is the migration of culture. And I think those of us, honestly, this may or may not be true, but I think those of us who came from the last world into this world are resonating probably on a deep, deeper level with what we're saying today. Because if your only world has been the immediate, digitized, instantaneous, multi-option world, then glacial thinking is going to have to be a supernatural occurrence in your mind. Your, your timeline is short. You know, if the light doesn't change in 40 seconds, it's like, man, I'm texting somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm telling somebody. This is ridiculous. I've already checked all of my messages and read three emails, and I'm still sitting here. This is nuts. And so in that zone, God is saying to us, I want you to have a mentality that works like this. I want you to stand firm. Or I want to add in this other translation. I want you to be steadfast. Let nothing move you so that you can always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So we're going to spend a few minutes today talking about what it looks like to have a long-term or long-arc approach to life. And this is something we've got to ask God to help us with. Do you notice that when we talk about climate change, it gets political in a hurry. People start fighting over each other. I don't believe in climate change. I do believe in climate change. Well, it's 100 degrees in December. Well, it's snowing in July. Well, I don't know what that is. Just it happens. It's the way the world's been. And there's people dug in on both sides. But do you know why climate change really hasn't caught on in our culture? It's because we're so short-term that we really honestly don't care what happens in 50 years from now. I think they could prove climate change, indisputably. Every scientist would agree there's no this side and that side. And everybody says in 50 years, planet Earth is going to not be habitable anymore. And I think people would start checking their birth date. 50 years, I'm 57. That's going to be tough for a lot of y'all. <laughs> and you'll figure it out. <laughs> it's hard to get our world interested in things that are long arc kinds of things. This election cycle we're in right now, I wanna hear people talking about the national debt. This is what I am concerned about. I'm not interested in people uh, you know, bashing each other uh, over this and that and the other and who can say the funniest thing about somebody else. I just want somebody to step forward and say, look, we have, it's the way I can read it, I think the number's gonna come up here just so you can see it, just get us ready for the election cycle. Our debt right now is $18 trillion. That's how much we owe. I don't know how much you owe at your house. But it's $18 trillion. If you want to be depressed, if there's ever a moment that you feel too happy and you're like, i got to tone it down a little bit, go to the Real-Time Debt Counter website. 
It counts the national debt and a bunch of other debts. It's like got about a hundred little bitty readouts on one page and you can mouse over any one of them and explain more to you, but it's just counting up the national debt in real time. And you can sit there for a minute and just watch a couple of millions go by just really, really fast and then just close that and go to sleep. I mean, it's a real encourager for those of us who are trying to look long-term. But why does no one here today ultimately really care about the national debt? Because it's too big a number, and it makes us think about long-arc thoughts. It's, it's something that's not going to be solved in a day. It's not going to be fixed in a week. You can't change it at nanosecond speed. But it's a very, very big issue for this nation to owe $18 trillion to other governments. It's a problem. And the same problem is in my life and your life when we're deferring our spiritual development to another season of life. And what we may be doing is passing down to our children and our grandchildren a boatload of debt that we were unwilling to take head on in our lifetime. That we weren't willing to do the work to ask God to create the spiritual habits to help us move from where we are to where God wants us to be, because you can dream all day long, but a dream is only as good as the habit that you form. Ovid. The Roman philosopher and poet said, nothing is stronger than habit. Your dream's not stronger than habit. Your goals you wrote in your journal are not stronger than habit. The picture you have that you're carrying around in your mind of what your life is going to be is not stronger than the habits that you form. Because as we said last week, we make our habits and our habits make us. And so we've got to take on in our lives this idea, what is it that God wants to start developing in me to get me out of a gigabyte, nanosecond world into a glacial mentality that I can start seeing myself in five years from now, I know it's crazy, in 10 years from now, in 20 years from now, I can see myself being the man, the woman that God wants me to be. It begins by visualizing some long-term spiritual goals. This is number one. And I want to ask you, what are your long-term spiritual goals? What are my long-term spiritual goals? And when I say long-term, I'm talking about maybe from now to the summer. And then maybe thinking from that out to this year and thinking maybe out from that to by the time I graduate from college or by the time I get married or by the time we have our first kid this is kind of where I want to be spiritually because I know if you're a young married couple, you've already thought about where you need to get location-wise. We need to get out of this apartment, get in a house, we're going to build a family, or we've got to get a bigger apartment if we're going to build a family. We've got to get this much money in the bank if we want to build a family. We've got to do this much job-wise, organize. We already know how to think that way. But what are you wanting to accomplish spiritually before kids come into your world? Because when kids come into your world, your ablation is going to be greater in some ways than your accumulation. So you got to get ready. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to take this new position, this new job. I'm on this track, and if everything works out, I'm going to get this promotion. I'm going to get this raise. I'm going to get this opportunity. Well, what are your spiritual goals that you'd like to have accomplished in life before that hits? Because when that hits, your ablation is probably going to be more than your accumulation. 
Man, I've always wanted to be the regional sales manager. I've always wanted to be the district coordinator. I've always wanted to be executive vice president. I've always wanted to be the head of this or the head of that. Congratulations. I hope you do become that, and I hope you do max out in your ability to influence the world. But you have to think, when I become the executive vice president, it's possible that my ablation is going to outmatch my accumulation. And it might be too late at that point to to create spiritual habits that can sustain you when the light shines bright, when the, the numbers are bigger, when the cash in your pockets is greater, when the travel schedule is stretching you wider. Do you want to have already pre thought some spiritual formation for your life? It could be, I really want to know the word. I really do want to know this word inside out, frontwards and backwards. I want to be able to explain it to people, teach it to people, open it before people. I want to be able to dive into it, not my highlighted 17 verses in Psalm 23. I actually want to know this word. That's a great long-term spiritual goal. Impatience will chip into it because you're not going to do that this year. That's going to take a longer arc than this year. I want to be a warrior in prayer. Some of you, that is a great spiritual goal. You, you pray in little bitty snippets here and there when the circumstances demand it, but in terms of praying for your community, praying for your children, praying for your husband, your wife, praying for your city, praying the kinds of prayers that are stored up in the storehouses of heaven that affect eternity. Not many of those coming out of your world. Praying for your company, praying for your coworkers, praying for your business, praying for your school, that your, your network, your, your relationships, and seeing God do things because of your prayers. Maybe that's a long-term spiritual goal. That isn't going to happen before February. You are not going to become a warrior in prayer if that is not where you are today by February. So impatience, again, it's going to chip into that. But if you can develop this glacial mentality, it's going to help you. I want to change the landscape of heaven through my generosity. Maybe that's a long-term spiritual goal for you. I want to be the kind of person walking around in heaven going, I bought that, I paid for that, that's here because of me, those people are here because of me, that happened because of me, because I developed a habit of generosity, and over my lifetime, I became a major generosity player in the kingdom of God. I want to have an encourager's heart. Some of you rally around failure. You love to highlight what went wrong. You are so quick to, to pile on when somebody stumbled, but in your mind you're thinking, I want to be that bulwark of encouragement that people know if you get around me, you're going to walk away feeling better about your chances than you did when you came into my orbit. I want to live guilt-free. That's a long-term spiritual goal for some of you. I wish it could happen in a heartbeat because of all the work Christ has done for us. But for some of you, it's going to take you a while to let that truth really unravel all the lies of your life. But it can happen, and you can get to a place in this world where you walk without the weight of condemnation on your life. I want to mentor and disciple others. Some of you are thinking that right now. I don't want to just rock through life and do my own thing. I want to leave a mark on young men, young women. I want to raise up people. I want to strengthen people. 
I want to have a mission lifestyle. Maybe that's a long-term spiritual goal for you. You've never been anywhere in the world for the sake of understanding the church. God's building in the world. You don't really know about unreached people groups, about the Bibleists and the world, about the church that's being advanced in every corner of earth today, but you want to participate more in that and not just die and say, I went from Lawrenceville to Buckhead, and that was kind of my zone, and we went to Florida twice a year, and you know we'd been to New York City, and once we went to San Francisco, it was great, but I really don't know what God's doing on planet Earth. And maybe your long-term goal is, I want to develop a mission lifestyle. That won't happen in the next two weeks. I want to be able to thoughtfully articulate my faith. You know, Ravi Zacharias spoke at Passion, and a lot of people said, I need to know more about what it is I believe. Because it is possible to not, I don't know that anybody's going to become Ravi Zacharias. I mean, he's like a, a one-man freak show of apologetics. I mean, he's just like the smartest guy on planet Earth. But you certainly can elevate your confidence level of being able to understand and articulate what you believe. I mean, not by the end of the week, but you could make that a long-term spiritual goal. I want to lead someone else to Jesus. Don't you want, before you leave planet Earth, to lead one person to faith in Christ? Know that I didn't give them a book and they read it. I mean, I actually sat with them when they said, I'm ready. And I said, let's pray now. I will lead you. And in heaven, they're not going to say that preacher or this church or that. They're going to say, Mary Ann led me to Jesus. Don't you want that for life? So that could be a long-term spiritual goal. You're like, I don't think I could do that this week. You might not be able to do it this week unless somebody's just standing on the corner tomorrow and they're like, I've been looking for somebody to lead me to Jesus. Well, that's awesome because I've made that a long-term spiritual goal of my life. Man, this is going to be a perfect storm today. I want to serve in my strengths in my church. I want to understand what God's wired me up to do, and I want to serve in the strength of that in my local church. Those are long, a few long-term spiritual goals. What are your long-term spiritual goals? Let's just start with the next six months. Let's widen the lens a little bit to this year, and let's think about what you can see in the next arc of life. What is it that you're aiming at? Because unless you have a long-term spiritual goal, you won't even really know what the first step is. I, I was just pulling up today, just for the fun of it, uh, going to the Washington Monument. It's uh, Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, and his famous speech was at the Lincoln Memorial just down the way from the Washington Monument. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the Washington Monu Monument. So it's just amazing. I just put in, I want to go to the Washington Monument. Isn't that amazing? You used to have to. I know, this is a crazy thought. It's why a lot of us are the way we are. You just have to go get a map. I mean, that's a crazy idea, but you have to go find a map. Like, go look around for a map. It's probably in the glove compartment of the car, but you'd have to get a map, and you'd have to figure it out. Now you just tell it, I want to go to the Washington Monument from my location, and it told me in nine hours and 14 minutes, I will be at the Washington Monument. It's 632 miles. The fastest route is the usual route, so that's good. And it tells me it can go this way and it's 16 minutes slower or this way is 12 minutes slower. I'm like, why do I want to go 16 minutes slower? I'm living in an instantaneous gigabyte world. I want to get there as fast as I can. I don't care if I'm going to have the most wonderful experience of my life on that little side road. I want to get there as quickly as possible. So I, all I have to do is hit this little button. Head northeast. 
head northeast. I don't know why it tells me that. I never know what northeast or southwest or west is. And that's one of the things we're working on. You know, it's pretty frustrating for it not just to say, do you see that big green truck right there? Go that way. Head northeast on Garson Drive. So if I'm going to go to the Washington Monument, which is my long-term goal, unless I have a helicopter or I want to walk through the woods, I have to go northeast on Garson Drive. And I say, no, you could go the other way. It doesn't know you can go either way out of Garson Drive and get to the same place. So it'll figure that out before you get on Garson Drive. But you got to go out of here onto Garson Drive to go to the Washington Monument. And then when you click on this little dot up here, it tells you all the good things that you want to know um, about how you're going to get there. It's not actually doing anything right now because that's, we're in the middle of a live event. And so that's when things decide they don't want to work anymore. But if I click on my directions here, it's going to give me a whole list of turn here, turn there, turn here. How did you get on the deal? How's here? Go here, here, here. A whole list of things until it says you will arrive at your destination. And so this is what habit is all about. It's about seeing a long-term goal, knowing where is it that you want to go, and hopefully it's further than the parking lot, and then figuring out what is a first or second step towards that goal. Now, if you have kids, you know how this works. You go out of Garson Drive, they're like, Mom, Dad, when will we be at the Washington Monument? We're ready to be there. And you're like, hey, we got a ways to go, you know, work on your thing, watch a couple movies. And then we'll check back in with you. But the whole way there, they're asking one question. What are they asking the whole way there? And you're like, no, we're not there yet. I wish we were on a rocket, but we're not in a rocket. We're in a minivan, and the minivan's doing the best it can. (laughs) But it's going to take us some time to navigate the journey And then eventually we will arrive at the destination. And so I think for a lot of us, we've got to get this glacial mentality that we're not going to arrive at the destination today, but if we take all these steps, they will ultimately lead us to the place we want to be. And so it begins with having a picture of where you want to go spiritually. Secondly, it's important for us to center our habits around the faithfulness of God. So we are in a 21-day fast as Passion City Church, if you didn't know. You would have had to have been here last Sunday or been on Instagram to know that. But if you didn't know, that's fine. Still have 14 days to go, and 14 days is a a good fast. But the the goal of fasting as a house, as people, and the the other habits that we're going to begin adding in over the next few weeks, the goal is not to do the habits. So the goal is not to fast. So at the end of the fast, we don't want to celebrate. We fasted. At the end of our 21-day fast, we're going to have a night of worship right here on a Tuesday night at Passion City Church to put a capstone, an exclamation point on our 21-day fast. But we're not going to celebrate that night. We fasted for 21 days. Isn't that amazing? Because the habit in and of itself isn't enough for us. The habit is a tool by which we can center our lives again on the faithfulness of God. So we fast to think about God's faithfulness. We fast to make space for God to be in our story. We fast to create a hunger in our hearts for more of God. We fast so that our awareness of God, our, our, our in-tuneness to God is greater, so that the, the I am that I am is in the 
ever-present nanosecond culture that we find ourselves living in and our accumulation rates are fueled by his faithfulness in a world that's going to try to erode that confidence in his faithfulness moment by moment by moment. Psalm 90 is a great place to start and I've sort of put it on my list as one of the things to do in this season that we're coming around habit to memorize Psalm 90. I love this psalm, quoted all the time. I just want to get it locked down in my mind. It may take me the whole uh, couple of months that uh, we're kind of journeying together, but that's fine with me. But I love the way Psalm 90 opens. And this is a prayer of Moses who met God on a mountain and experienced even with his face up against the rock the glory of God. He's, heard, he's the one who heard God say, my name is I am that I am. And I've got to hear God say that to me in a gigabyte world. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Don't you love the opening line? It didn't say for the last week, this month, the last 20 years, uh, since the turn of the century, for a couple of centuries, for a millennia, since America was born. No, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations from the very beginning of it all until now. You are the place that we dwell. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You're a glacier is what you are. Your accumulation is without any ablation. You are who you are, have been, are, and will be. And so look at the fallout of that opening statement. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. So that's where all the great men of the world are going and all the great women of the world are going. They're going back to dust where they began. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Have you ever been there when someone you love died and, and the end of all of their life was just a moan? And then it was done. He said the length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger for your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And here comes the grace of God. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children, and may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The psalmist is saying, Center your world 
around an immovable and unshakable God so that then you will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So how do I become immovable? How do I become steadfast? By orienting my life around the immovable object of all objects, the steadfast one among all in the world. Hebrews 13, 8 is said about Jesus himself, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So our habit, whether it's scripture, whether it's generosity, whether it's solitude, whether it's meditation, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, our habit is to orient us again to the faithfulness of God so that from the faithfulness of God, we can, and the third thing, and I close with this, we can reflect that faithfulness in the world. You don't just get steadfast on your own. You get steadfast by being in the presence of the steadfast one. And that's what changes and orients our world. When we are constantly and consistently in God's presence, we become deep in a shallow world. We become constant in a changing world. We become confident in a fearful world. We become spiritual in a material world. And we become patient in an instant world. And these are the traits of our God. Deep, constant, confident, spiritual patient. Don't you want to be that? You know, I'm a big sports fan. A lot of you are. And one of the troubles of professional sports and somewhat collegiate sport is that it changes so much now. Like, we don't even know who the coach is. I mean, I think everybody knows the coach of the Falcons is Dan Quinn, but barely. Who was the coach before him? Uh, How about right before him? Uh, I know Jim Moore was in there somewhere. I remember Norm Van Brocklin. Anybody old enough to remember that guy? That's when you had to, like, change channels. And then all of a sudden there's a guy running down the field catching a pass, and you're like, he plays for us now? I thought he played for the whoever. No, he used to play for them, but then he's like, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, I can't keep up anymore. I liked it personally when it was like the Braves were the Braves and the Dodgers were the Dodgers and the Mets were the Mets. But then there became an era where the guy we hated the most on the other team now plays on our team and we love him now. And we're like, I don't know if I really like that or not. And it's eroded for us any sense of constancy. And so we celebrate these Legends like a Cal Ripken played his whole career with one team. What was wrong with him? Did he not want the bigger deal, the bigger contract, the bigger free agency payoff? Was he not mad at anybody in the front office or the dugout enough to say, I've had it with you people, and I'm going to show you because they're giving me another deal, and I'm going to go there. Of course he was frustrated with the front office. Of course he had run-ins with people in the clubhouse. Of course he could have made another extra million on top of the hundreds of millions of dollars that he made in his life if he had just bolted from the Orioles and gone to the Red Sox. 
But we celebrate a guy like that because it's very, 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 very rare in an ever-changing world that you would find somebody who's steadfast and who has values that are rooted in an unchanging God. And you can count on them today. You can count on them tomorrow. You can count on them 10 years from now. You can count on them because they have developed depth in a shallow world. They become constant in an ever-changing world. They're confident in an extremely fearful world. Spiritual in a hyper-inflated material world. And they're patient in an instant world. One last image for you today, and it's the image of the Colorado River. And it's a picture of what God wants your life to be. No one is going to create the Grand Canyon in 2016. And if that is your long range goal, that's a great goal. I want to make a canyon in my generation. But don't let impatience be the nemesis of your habit. Let habit, as it's oriented around an unchanging God, be the fuel that creates in you the expectation that moving in the same direction faithfully over a long time will create a wonder for the world. And down through the layers of civilizations, of centuries, the river runs. And it does what to the human mind seemed impossible. Because it is a river, yes, called the Colorado, but it is a river called steadfast. It's a river called habit. Habit is our friend. Habit is God's gift to you and me. And so what a beautiful opportunity to start this year and to say, I want to set a new direction. I'm not going to be duped by nanosecond instantaneous result. But I believe with God, if I'm faithful, he'll be faithful. He'll be faithful even if I'm not faithful. But if I lean with him over time, I will begin to see the fruit of God in my life. And so would you like to join us for 14 days? And you can catch up with last week's talk, hear a little bit more about the fast, how, why, but simply put, it's this. It's you asking God what's one thing that he wants to take off the table in your life. For some of us, for 21 days, we're a weekend, a lot of us, for all of us, for the next 14 days. What is that thing that God wants to take out of the equation to create in you a hunger and an awareness for more of God in your life? And before you quickly decide what it is, ask God, what does he want it to be? 
and let him steer you in a direction. And in place of that thing, in the space that it creates in your mind and in your heart, ask God, where do you want to aim my life this year? Not, here's my idea, here's my plans, here's my dreams, and I'm going to fast so they'll come true. No, God, where do you want to aim my life this year? And what are some practical steps today, a little step today that gets me on Garson Drive? And I'm trusting if I get on Garson Drive, you'll get me to Piedmont. When I get on Piedmont, I'll worry about being on Piedmont. When I get on Piedmont, I'll worry about getting on Sydney Marcus or going down that way and getting on 85 North. I'll worry about all that at the end of the day. And then lastly in the fast, who are my people who are going to help me on this journey?